uh, Craig Sterling, you'll get to meet him. He's a great guy. Uh, from uh, He's from Scotland originally. He's from Luzerne County now. And also, he's a missionary to Columbia. And so you'll get to meet him next week. So this Sunday, this today is my Father's Day message. And so as I spoke to the ladies back in May, I actually took two weeks to speak to the ladies in May. And I went through the stages of, of womanhood uh, in that. And if you missed that, you can catch that on YouTube. Just go back on YouTube and catch it. And so today I'm going to actually talk about the stages of manhood. And so, uh, and so ladies, uh, this is not, number one, this is not an invitation for you to critique your man. All right? All right, so do you understand? As, as I go through the stages of manhood, I don't want you to go home and say, Pastor Dave said you ain't a man. All right, okay? Because that's going to put me in a bad spot, okay? All right? And so don't go in there, all right? And, uh, and, and nor, is it, nor is it for you as a guy to be like, oh, I'm just not a man. And this is not a self-critique for you as well, okay? So um, understand that listen, the stages of manhood, they come at different times in men's lives, and, um, but they're there for us to progress through uh, as, as God helps us to grow and to mature. And so a lot of times I have guys into my office, and uh, you know whether they're young, whether they're boys or young men or teenagers or uh, even older men, and, and they'll, they'll question, like, you know, like, I just don't feel, there's something missing in my life. And so I always tell guys that there's four legs of the chair or the stool that you sit on. Now, how many of you have ever, like, you can sit on a one-legged stool, but you, you're not going to really sit. You more or less lean on it. The same thing with a two-legged stool. A three-legged stool, you can sit on, um, but I'm not going to climb on a three-legged stool to change a light bulb. You know what I'm saying? Uh, because I've got a little more brightness upstairs than that. I want at least four legs underneath me. And so a four-legged stool, the four legs of a man's stool are, number one, a man needs adventure. He needs adventure. No matter how old they are, no matter how young they are, they need adventure. It's not just for the young, but even old men need adventure. There's, uh, you know, or, or, and, and everywhere in between as well. There's this need that we have as men for adventure. So that's one of the legs uh, of, this, of that chair that we sit on. The second is that you need to be productive. You need to contribute to society. You know, and so I think of it today, a lot of guys, there's no adventure in their life. And for a lot of men, you know, maybe they, they don't even, they're not doing anything. They don't have a job, you know, and, um, you know, maybe they're, they're, you know, our government has, has helped a lot of people out as far, you know, through COVID and everything. But there's, it's tough to get workers today. You know what I mean? So if you're a guy and there's no adventure in your life, and you're not producing anything, you're not going to be feeling good about yourself. And then thirdly, uh, a, a man needs people to count on him. He needs to have a, some sort of a family. And even if he's not married and doesn't have any children, or maybe he's by himself, but there's still people that count on him. Maybe his, the people he works with count on him. Maybe he's a boss or whatever the case may be. So you've got to have people that count, that count on you as well. And then finally, that fourth leg is that eternal connection. It's that connection with God. And without that, there, you know, the man does not have a, a stable base to sit on or to base his life on. And so we need that connection with Jesus Christ as well. Uh, John Eldridge wrote a book called Wild at Heart, and he also wrote a follow-up book to that called Fathered by God, which is, he actually goes through some of these concepts in his book. But a lot of people have talked about the, the stages of manhood, but that's a really good read if you're interested in it, guys, uh, to understand what being a man is. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the stages of manhood today, and we're going to use the life of David as our template. And so I just want you to know that there's a lot of scriptures here. And so you could go back this week and read those scriptures over. A lot of these scriptures I'm sharing today, we have gone through in our daily Bible reading that we do as a church, as well as we're going to be reading them in the next few days and weeks as well. So um, uh, you can, you can uh, go ahead and do some work on your own as, as you want to as well. 
Uh, now, there are some flies in the ointment for guys. Right? So these are flies for guys uh, as far as, uh, you know, sort of mucking up the, the business in our lives. Number one is if a guy, especially when he's developing, if a guy um, gets too much time in front of the TV, in front of electronics or gaming. Now, there's nothing wrong with TV. I have a TV. There's nothing wrong with electronics. I'm actually holding electronics right now. And there is nothing wrong with gaming. There's nothing wrong with those things. It's when you spend too much time with any of them. And so as a man, especially as you develop, especially as a young man, when you're developing up through, those things can really be a fly in the ointment for you. They can really sort of mess up your development um, because it's, it's, it's difficult because what happens is you can actually have no friends except for the people that you interact with electronically, and that's, that's bad. You need actual connection with people. And you're not connected with somebody. I mean, you know, we used to do a thing years ago back when dinosaurs ruled. Uh, you would get, like, a, an address of somebody from another country, and you would write them a letter. And then they'd write you a letter back. It was called a pen pal. Did anybody ever have a pen pal? All right, so, uh, you know, um, so you would have contact with somebody, like, maybe twice a month at best. And, um, and, and so uh, they are not, they're not your close friends. You've got to have connection with close friends. You've got to be together with close friends. And so that will really mess up your development as a guy through those things. Another thing that messes up, it's a flying ointment, is addictions. Addictions mess your, your ability to go through the stages of manhood. And addictions will, will really throw a wrench in that. And ladies, the same is true for you as well, right? So, uh, and then, of course, a dangerous environment. If you're growing up in a dangerous environment or if there's, you know, if you're living in a dangerous environment, if you're in a really dysfunctional family, it's difficult for guys to develop with that. And then finally, the early loss of a parent or parent figures is hard on guys, all right, and to help them to grow uh, with that. And we see that in our society today because of the lack of a male connection with so many people, right? I mean, I know you, you can't say that because it's true anymore, but the reality is, Children develop much better when there's a mother and a father in their life, right? I mean, it just goes without saying. So um, the male figure is an important thing. All right, so the first stage of manhood is boyhood, right? The first stage of manhood is boyhood, okay? And so, um, you know, and I, hey, I, I can speak out of this as experience. When I spoke to you ladies, I was just an observer, but I am, an, I, I, just so you know, I, I was a boy at one time, all right? And so I went through boyhood. Some of you remember my boyhood. My mom, my sister, you guys remember my boyhood quite well, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure there are some things you like to forget, but you remember it. And, and I can vividly remember my boyhood, too. I don't have too much amnesia yet about my boyhood. But in the boyhood stage, the boy is he's playful. He's a dreamer. Um, he's imaginative. He's an explorer. I mean, he can spend a day with a cardboard box, right? I mean, that cardboard box could be a spaceship. It could be, it could be a submarine. It could be anything. I mean, there's an imagination that takes place. And so boys are like this. They like to, there's, they like to have imagination. They like to dream. Um, and they don't really have a lot of touch on reality. You know, like when I was a boy, uh, you know, and um, uh, we were running, we, we cut through this guy's yard coming home from school, and my brother and his friend were older than me, and so we cut through this guy's yard. And so all of a sudden this man comes out chasing us because we were cutting through his yard. I, I have no idea why. Because we were cutting through his yard, right? You know, get off my lawn kind of a deal. And so um, uh, so my brother and his friend decide, he has a fence around his yard. They decide to climb his shed. And, and so I followed him up his shed. And so um, 
my brother's friend was very athletic. He jumped off the shed. And the man is starting to climb up the shed now, and he's, like, shaking his stick at me. And, um, and so I was probably, I don't know, six years old maybe at the time. And so I'm standing on top of this man's shed, and uh, my, fr- my brother's friend jumps off because it's only, like, eight feet or so. To me, it looked like it was like the Grand Canyon, you know what I mean? And so uh, um, my brother, being the smart one, climbs down the other side. And so they're yelling to me, come on, Dave, come on, Dave. And so I'm standing on the edge of the shed, and here's this man coming. I'm going to get you, sonny. You know, and it, it, he looked like an evil man coming after me. And so I did what any six-year-old boy would do. I would just assume you could fly. And so I just, whoo, just jumped off, and I belly flopped on the ground, you know. And uh, I had sticks and twigs and grass in my mouth, you know. And uh, my brother and his friend just grabbed me and, and just drug me home, you know. I just, every once in a while, I'll go in the old neighborhood, I'll see that shed, and I'll just like a sweat, a bead of sweat will just go on my forehead, you know. <laughs> um, there's not a lot of touch with reality, but there's a lot of dreaming there at that stage of life, you know. And, um, and it's an important stage. In First Samuel chapter 16, we see David as he's sort of in this stage of life. And, and David goes through a couple stages real quick here because he's really prepped for it. Uh, but in verse 8 of 16, it says this, Jesse calls Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons of you, that you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down till he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him, for this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So David is just this, he's just this kid, and he's out tending the sheep, um, and uh, Samuel is going to anoint the next king, and so he's, it's going to be one of Jesse's sons, and you know, maybe you don't know this story, uh, the seven sons pass before him, and he's like, nope, 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 and then finally, do you have any more sons? Oh, wait, there's the kid, the kid out there, David. He's a dreamer, though, you know, and, uh, and so David comes in, and man, God anoints him as king. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, he's just a boy. He's not ready to be a king, but he's anointed as king. God's put his finger on him. There's something bigger down the road for David, you know. The promise that we have in boyhood is that God sees the heart, you know. A lot of times as when we're in boyhood, you know, when I was a kid, sometimes people used to say like the old phrase, and not my parents, they never said this, but like little kids are better seen and not heard, right? Remember that saying? That's terrible. Next time you say that, just slap yourself. You know, I mean, it's, it's an awful thing. Now, I do agree. Sometimes as a parent, you just want the kid to shut up. All right? Because that's the reality. All right? Because some kids just don't shut up. All right? Am I right? All right? So, um, you know, but, but God looks at the heart of a child. And he sees something bigger in them than sometimes they see in themselves or even that we see. You know, in first Samuel 16, seven, it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How many times have you applied that verse in your own life? And you're like, oh, thank God. He sees my heart, right? You know, the outside is messed up, 
But man, God looks at our hearts. And our hearts can even though we can be totally messed up on the outside, the heart can still be soft before God, right? Isn't that wonderful? So the second stage that a man goes in a man's life is this, the cowboy stage. The cowboy stage, all right? And uh, that's a great stage. It's a lot of fun. And, I mean, who doesn't like a cowboy? It's from ages, you know, 11, 12, 13 or so through the early or mid-20s. And some men might be a cowboy until their 30s, possibly. You know, they're sort of stuck in that stage. And that's okay um, as long as they progress through. Um, it's, it's a good thing. And so in the cowboy stage, it's, it's an interesting thing here. Um, it's, there's a lot of fun. He, there's, you become an explorer. You're not just imagining things, but now you're beginning to explore. When I was a kid, I remember <clears throat> they were redoing the, the, uh, the storm drains uh, in my section of North Scranton where I grew up in. And so this is, this is what they did. They, would, they, they, they had the entire street dug up. They put in new storm drains, and the storm drains are about this high, you know, from, from, you know and, and uh, so they would have those. And this is how it was back then. Um, the workers would go home at 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. When they left, that became our playground. And so we would literally go into the storm drain on the corner of Eureka and Foster Avenue, and we would come out of the storm drain in front of Lynn and Fred's house. Right? We would play in those things. I mean, that was it. We were exploring. It was awesome. I mean, we'd play hide-and-seek, and, and you'd, you'd run through the storm drains. It's just an incredible thing. It was, just, it was awesome. Kids today don't know what fun is because they, they have fences around things now. And so we would explore. And then when I was 16, I got my permit to drive. And let me tell you, when you get a learner's permit and you begin to drive a car, and then when you get your license and you can actually drive without mom or dad, freedom! <laughs> Am I right? There's an increased freedom in your life as a cowboy. I mean, you know, and uh, you're not a little kid anymore. You're not, you're not just a boy. You're a cowboy, all right? And so as a cowboy, you begin to do some wild things and some unconventional things. You know, and that's, imp I, I want you to get this. If, if you're dealing with a cowboy at home, it's important for them to be a little wild. There's nothing wrong with that. They need to be a little unconventional. And there is a physicality that a boy develops in his cowboy stage. And I want you to get this. That physicality is important for them to learn. In fact, it's important. I, there was this one time, you know, listen, and, and, and you ladies, listen, this is, this is my Father's Day message, so I'm going to brag on the guys. Sometimes you just got to let guys be guys, ladies. So we had this, this, this volunteer in our youth ministry, and, um, and she, was, uh, she was, you know, a pretty strong woman. And so um, all of a sudden, on this one Friday night, this one boy, his friend is in the bathroom out there. He's in, in the bathroom, all right? I'm not, I'm not saying to do this, although I've done it myself. All right, so um, his friend's in the bathroom, and he's in there, and his friend is in the stall, all right, you know, and so... His, his friend finishes, washes his, I don't know if he washes his hands, whatever. Uh, he's a boy. So um, uh, he knows his buddy's in the stall. So what does he do? As he goes out, he turns off the light. I mean, <laughs> see, that's the response I'm looking for, right? All right, that's the response. All right. How many of you has that happened to? How many of you have done that to somebody? Okay, come on. I'm just, a bunch of liars. <laughs> so... So this woman, this woman who did not raise any sons, she had all daughters, didn't raise any sons, she, next thing I know, she is carting that boy down to my office 
And she goes, Pastor Dave, I told him you were going to deal with him about this. I'm like, what did he do? And she goes, his friend was in the bathroom, and he turned the light on him. And then she looks at him, she goes, he's going to deal with you. And she walks out. And, and this boy is standing there, like, looking at me like, what? <laughs> right? And I go, I go, just so you know, I've done that to people too. <laughs> right? So, 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 um, when you go out, make sure you find your friend and apologize to your friend in front of her. <laughs> because, listen, cowboys are going to be cowboys. They don't stand around the fire going, I read something really, really interesting. They're around the fire going like, Pfft. I mean, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right? They're, they're like playing jokes on each other, <laughs> you know? Like... I, uh, you know, uh, I, I, a friend of mine, I, I, I can't tell all these stories because I'm not going to get through my message, but uh, a, a friend of mine, we used to ride my car together all the time. And so, um, uh, you know, we'd drive through the country or something. So we always, that was back when, like, the uh, the A-plus Mini Mart came out with a 32-ounce soft drink. That was like heaven for me. It was just awesome, right? So, And so at the same time, I was cutting some wisdom teeth. So I always had this this tube of Aura Gel with me because my wisdom teeth were just killing me. So... Um, if my friend got out of the car, I would take the Origel and take a little dab and put it on the top of his straw. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so that he'd get back in the car and be like, you know, eventually, oh, well, he would do the same to me. You know? I mean, it's just what cowboys do. Right? You know, and so... It's an important part of a, of a guy's life is learning how to be a cowboy. Now, you can't stay in that stage forever, although there has to be a little cowboy in every man too. But you know what I'm saying? It, they have to learn at that point, of, do they have what it takes? That's what they're really trying to find out. And it, as well, in the cowboy stage, a guy has got to learn that he really has to work hard. He's got to learn that then. Because if he doesn't learn it when he's a cowboy, he's not gonna. He's gonna go to another stage, and it's gonna be a mess, right? And so he's got to learn to work hard. So he seeks validation for being able to make decisions. All right. And so let's go back to David. This is shortly after this. Now he's in the cowboy stage, uh, ch- uh, chapter seventeen of First Samuel. All right, verse twenty. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp, of the, and the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. So David is sent to go to the battle as a cheese delivery guy. Basically, that's what he is. His dad says to him, hey, take these ten cheeses and go to the battle. So here comes David, who's got this wildness in him, and he's, he's the cheese delivery guy. He's Mr. Cheesy, <laughs> literally. Mr. Cheesy comes to the battle. And so what does he do? He gets there and he has to, like he has this, this whatever animal he brought the stuff on. He leaves it in care of, of the quartermaster. He's like, hey, this is for my father, for my brothers, and for his commander. I want to go to the battle. Because he wants what? He wants adventure. He wants to see what's going on. He wants to see the battle. So he goes to the battle and what does he find? You know? Um, verse uh, 
23, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Wherever, whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. I mean, this is what David sees. Then David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for this man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You just see it. Like David's walking up like, hey, who's this partner? Who's this guy? Who's this uncircumcised Philistine? What would happen to the guy if he kills this guy? Make my day. I mean, you know, this is David. This is what he's doing, right? Verse 34, it goes on. So finally, someone says, hey, we got to take you to King Saul because there's something different about you. I mean, you're a cowboy, but there's something different. And so he takes him to King Saul. King Saul is a war. He's a, he's a king. And David talks with him. Listen to what goes on. Verse 34. David says to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul says to David, no way. <laughs> no, what does he say? Go and the Lord be with you. I mean, listen, there was something inside of Saul that when he saw David, all of a sudden Saul becomes faith because he saw that David is this wild, unconventional cowboy who's ready to do something for God. And Saul, the goodness in Saul, sees that in David and goes, yeah, you know what? I'm with you. I believe God could do this too. So this cowboy that David is comes out. And so listen, the promise is as a cowboy, you know, even though sometimes it's a little wild, you can ride straight. Do you ever see somebody bat, uh, barrel racing? you ever see, like, people that barrel race? Man, it is incredible what they can get a, a horse to do, you know, and, and how close they can get to a horse. There was one time... I have so many stories to share. So I, I, I was a cowboy one time. I, we used to go riding horses all the time. Laura and I used to ride horses back before uh, insurance got crazy. And so uh, we, there was this place up by us. It was, it was called Trails Unlimited. It was awesome. And so you would actually go, and you could actually ride the horses. They'd let you ride the horses on your own. And so you could gallop the horse through the countryside. It was beautiful. So the, I, we had this horse called – I rode this horse called Hank. And he was wild. But he was like the fastest horse there. And so – as you would, you, would, you, know, you would get geared up and everything, and be, as you, you go to the fields to run, you, they would put you in line, and you would walk in line together. Well, um, they put Hank behind this horse that Hank didn't like. And so as we're walking, Hank kept biting the rear end of the horse in front of me, all right? And so, which the horse in front of me did not like that at all. And so it kept kicking. It was like kicking Hank. And so, I, and so Hank is like, he's, he's like getting all riled up. You know, and number one, he's, he's, the, he's the craziest horse they have to begin with. And he's getting riled up because he's biting the horse's rear end in front of him. And the horse is kicking him and everything. So when it came time to run and we, we took off, Hank takes off like a, like a bolt of lightning through a field on his own. Only I'm still on him. Now, I'm, Lord, am I, I'm not making this up, Laura. All right. All right. All right. So. I'm still riding this horse. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, Hank, whoa, whoa. And I'm, pull, I'm doing everything you're supposed to do. I'm looking for the key to turn it off, you know. <laughs> I'm making sure I'm not putting any more quarters in, all right, you know. And, 
And this horse is running through the field, full speed. And I could see that there's this stone wall with this tree with this low branch coming over it. And there's like this little gate in in the stone wall and this tree, like an oak tree, had this low branch. And I'm thinking, am I going to fit under there? Am I going to fit? Whoa, Hank, whoa, whoa. Am I going to fit? I am not going to fit under there. And so the branch hits me and knocks me off of the saddle. But my right foot stayed in the stirrup. And Hank kept going with me, dragging me along until the horse finally stopped because the horse was laughing so much, I think. (laughs) And he finally stops. And I got my foot out of the stirrup and the the trail boss came over and he's like, he's like, if I, if it wasn't you, I wouldn't believe it. Nope. If it didn't happen to you, I wouldn't believe it, but I saw it with my own eyes, you know, um, the promise from God in the cowboy stage is, listen, you could ride straight. You could ride straight. In, Psalm, in Psalms, uh, uh, technology. In Psalms 119, uh, verse 9, it says this, How can a young person stay on the path of purity, even as a cowboy? You can stay on the path of purity. How do you do that? All right, by living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The reality is, listen, God is with you in that cowboy stage. As you allow him, as you, as you seek after him, he'll be there to help you as well. You can ride straight. The third stage is the warrior stage, the warrior stage. This is when a man begins to understand he's not just a cowboy, but now he's understanding that he can be powerful and he can be aggressive. And being aggressive is not bad. In fact, a man needs to learn how to be aggressive. That's an important thing. Because why? You need to be able to be passionately able to fight for something. All right? Um, that's an important concept, that a man has to learn how to fight. Remember, <clears throat> at the end of my message, I'm going to share the verse from Paul when he says, I have fought the good fight. In other words, there was a time in Paul's life when he was not fighting the good fight. And so you have to learn how to passionately fight for that which is important in your life. So you need a cause. And a warrior needs a king. A warrior without a king is nothing. And so you need a cause to fight for. There has to be something that you can find that's bigger than yourself, all right? Uh, at this stage in life, a man learns to be able to see things through, how to finish things. And he seeks validation now from his mission. This is why I live. This is what I'm living for. This is my mission. And this is what validation comes into a man's life when he's a warrior, all right? In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we see David exits the cowboy stage and really forms and walks into the warrior stage here in verse 40 of that chapter. It says, then he took his staff in his hand. Now, he wasn't using Saul's armor. He's using his own stuff, right? He took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and all the world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, 
and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack David, David ran quickly toward the battle to meet him. <clears throat> Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell down, face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. This is a warrior now. Now he's not just fighting for himself. He's not just protecting his sheep like a cowboy does. Now he's fighting for God's honor. He's fighting for God's honor. And so, man, all of a sudden now he's a warrior. And so, I mean, he, you know, he's just using a slingshot. He doesn't even own a sword. He knocks the guy down, knocks him unconscious, and takes uh, Goliath's own sword, kills him, and cuts off his head. Then he's standing there holding a head. <laughs> That's one way to get ahead, I guess, right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, wow. I, I mean, this is a warrior now. He's no longer just a cowboy, you know? See, you, uh, at this stage in a man's life, you've got to realize, and there's so much of what society pushes on men to be passive today. And passivity and masculinity are, are counter, they're, they're counterintuitive of each other. They're mutually exclusive. They're fundamentally at odds with each other. It's not for a man to be passive about stuff, right? Masculinity is, there's nothing passive about it, right? Um, and, and so, you know, uh, even like what people say today, they say that silence is violence on things. Listen, if that's the, we got to make sure that as men, we're not silent about the things we see going on around us. And that goes across the board. You know, you cannot be a man and not be passionate about something that you're willing to fight for. Right? The promise that God gives us in this stage is Psalm 108, uh, 12 and 13. It says, God, uh, give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. I mean, there's victory as a warrior in the kingdom of God. Number four, the fourth stage is the lover stage. The lover. All right. The lover begins to be a life where he's living a purposeful life. He's beginning to look beyond himself. Now, listen, this is not, the lover stage is not what a lot of men think the lover stage is today. All right? The lover means, that, well, it, it, there's a purpose that you're living, you're thinking of others. You're, you're thinking beyond yourself. There's somebody that you're willing to do these things for. There's somebody you're willing to be a warrior for. There's somebody you're willing to fight for in your life. And then all as well, as a, in this lover stage, it's not just about what you can destroy, but you begin to see beauty in things around you. You know, you see beauty in a woman. You see beauty in nature. You see beauty in all of a sudden there's beauty in poetry. You know, it's not just all that music that makes you angry. All of a sudden it's like, wow, that song really moves me. You know, so this, you begin into this lover stage. Now, this is, this is important for men um, let me say this in the, the, the best way. So it's, it's important for men to not enter the lover stage before they learn that there's something they could fight for. You understand? So like the, um, it's not good for a man to go into the lover stage if he doesn't understand that there's a bigger calling on his life. All right? You know what I mean? Because what happens a lot of times in modern society is someone goes from boyhood right into the lover stage, and that's just a terrible thing. 
because you have, there's no experience, there's no, there's no nothing. And then what happens is eventually someday they're going to miss the cowboy stage that they missed, and they're going to try to live their cowboy stage out when they're middle-aged. And it's just a mess. So you got to go through the stages properly for this. So the lover stage here, we'll see this in 1 Samuel. So David is this great warrior, and he's sort of uh, you know, riding through the countryside with his band of, of, uh, of soldiers that he has. He's not the king. He's sometimes fleeing for his life. Um, but he's, he's a mighty warrior at this time. But he's also discovering that there's more to life than just what you destroy. All right? And so um, in 1 Samuel 25, he comes on this guy named Nabal, and Nabal was just an idiot, all right? And um, Nabal was just this conceited guy, and he's, David is going to kill him. And this is what takes place. Verse 10, Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who's the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to the men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So he's, in a, he's a warrior now. Let's go kill this guy. Right? So they did, and David strapped on his own as well. About 400 men went up with David, about 200 stayed with the supplies. David said to Abigail, oh, verse 32. So let me, let me skip ahead here. So um, David is going to kill Nabal and his whole household, and his, Nabal's wife is named Abigail. She's a wise woman. And so Abigail meets David with all the provisions he needs, and she sort of intercedes for her husband, who's an idiot. And uh, she says, hey, listen, um, forgive my husband for what he's done. I'm so sorry. You know, you don't want to do this because God will be angry with you. And so here's what you need. And, and David is moved by this because he's not just a warrior now. He's entering into the lover stage. Now, we know David wasn't always good with the lover stage either, okay? But um, he, uh, he enters into this with Abigail. Verse 32. David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has today sent you to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I've heard your word words and granted your request. So Abigail goes back home. She finds her husband. She tells her husband what about what, what about happened in his life and he has a heart attack and dies. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Probably the most sensible thing he did all in his entire life other than marrying Abigail, right? Verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, "Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head." Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to, to you to take you home to become his wife. So, you know, David, at this stage, he's learning how that there's more to the life than just being a warrior. You know, there's more than just fighting, right? It's there. So the promise that we have to understand as a man in this stage is that really we can find contentment in our lives. But, but the reality is this. You know, like those four legs of a man's stool – Without that fourth leg, we don't truly have contentment. Because the only place that you can truly find contentment is through God. It doesn't come through being a cowboy or a warrior. It doesn't come from possessions. It even doesn't even come from your family. True contentment comes from God. You know? And I see this. Men and women screw this up all the time today. I know people, Christians, um, 
who their entire life is their family. Well, that's, that's not biblical. Do you understand? Your children are not your number one priority in your life. God is the number one priority. Your spouse is not your number one priority in life. God is your number one priority because if you don't serve him properly, eventually you're not going to serve the other people either. Serving him will set you up to do everything right. And so David understands this. He understands why. Because in Psalm 50, 51, later on down the road, when David sins with Bathsheba and God judges him for this, David's response is the response of a lover, not to Bathsheba, but to God himself. In Psalm 51, he says this in verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. See, even though David was judged by God, even though bad things happened, David knew that his relationship with God was really the most important thing that he had. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, Paul, as he's given this benediction to the Corinthian church, he says to them, um, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And that is our love, our great love. That needs to be our greatest love in our lives, men and women today, is our love for God, our love for him, because he's the one who really makes all the difference in the world for us. Amen? All right, so I have two more, two more stages. Is it okay? Like, I should be letting you guys go now. So is this okay? Can I go through these? I told too many stories today. I'm so sorry. <clears throat> all right? The king stage is the fifth stage. The king, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> the king stage. So a man can enter into the king. Not all men do, but a man can enter into the king stage. If he progresses properly through those other stages of life, he can walk into the king stage, all right, when a man actually becomes a king. Uh, some people think they're a king, but they don't have a kingdom. So a king without a kingdom is what? A joke, right? I mean, it's deposed, all right, in exile, whatever the case. So a king actually has a kingdom. And so you can enter into this king stage. In this stage, the man is very productive. He's selfless. He doesn't seek his own comfort. He's not, he's not reigning as king so that everybody can wait on him. He's actually taking care of others around him. He's not a warrior anymore, but he leads warriors, all right? He's developed. He's initiated. He does, he, he's discovered that leading is a tremendous test of character. His life has been tested many times, and he seeks validation in creating this kingdom. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see this in David's life. Um, as David sort of, uh, you know, he, he's, he's been a great warrior. He's, he's, now he's a king, and, and uh, everything's going right for him, you know. And he's got his life down pat, and things are going well, you know. And so what does he say? Verse 1 of chapter 7, after the king was settled in his palace... And the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. See, David is living the life of a king, and now he realizes, Listen, I'm not the one who gave me all this stuff. It's God who's given it all to me. Why is it that I have this beautiful house and God is still living in a tent? 
I mean, a king doesn't rule for his own benefit. He rules for the benefits of others. In 2 Samuel 8, verse 15, it says, David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. And so the promise given to a man in that king stage is, yes, you can serve and you can reign as a king and you can do it from the experience of what God has brought you through in your life. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks as a king, maybe almost as the next stage as well, but Paul, as he's talking to the church in Philippi, he gives them some kingly advice. Verse 7, he says this, Whatever were gains, gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but from that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So there is this idea that, listen, the stuff of this life, the things that so many people seek after, the junk that everybody desires, it doesn't really matter that there's a greater calling that we can serve. There's a greater thing that we can serve. It's not that those things are bad. Your house isn't bad. Your car's not bad. Your, you know, your fishing rod's not bad. Your gun's not bad. But, you know, you can't, those are, those are not what you're living for. There's a greater call on your life. That mission of God, that missio Dei that you live out, that is what a king does. A king fulfills that mission in his life. And then finally, the final stage is the sage stage. Sage. Not the little herb that you grow in your garden. The sage stage. <laughs> the sage stage. I'm having trouble saying that. All right? <clears throat> Just as the king can build warriors, the sage builds kings. There comes a time in a man's life when he gets to the point where it's Listen, it's not just, he's not just reigning over a kingdom, but now he's actually, he's actually leveraging himself into other people's lives. He reproduces himself through mentorship. You know, he becomes a resource of wisdom and knowledge. He seeks validation from influence and service to others in the sage stage. I mean, think about it. There's lots of musicians. There's lots of people writing songs, but there's only certain people you would consider to be a sage in their songs. Their songs they write are just so, they're just so good. They say something. They speak out of experience, you know? Not just like, you know, you know, it's not just, a, not just some blah, 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 blah. It's not just a song written about something. But a sage could actually write something that inspires other people. And a sage stage of a person's life is like that as well. In First Kings chapter 2, as we get to the end of David's life, we see this stage being for him. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations, as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. And that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you'll never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. David's a sage now. He's getting ready to check out. Everything he does now is for what's coming down the road. 
<clears throat> and the promise given to us at this stage in our lives is uh, that there's more to this life than just living and dying. You know, I love that. I, I say that line many times in a funeral, that there's more to this life than just living and dying. And the reality is, listen, when you get to that point in your life, guys, the reality is it's not the end. It's just it, it, it continues to go on. There's more to this life here than just what we do and then we die. No, no, no. Psalm 70, 71, the psalmist writes this in verse 14. He says, as for me, I will always have hope. I will always have hope. Even as an older man, I can still have hope. You know, I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long, though I know not how to relate them all. I mean, you know, sometimes when you get older, it's hard to see the goodness of God. That's why I think it was just so beautiful this morning as we just paused in the presence of God and just began to just tell God how good he is. You know? I mean, can you say that when everything doesn't go great in your life? Because that's when you really have to focus on the goodness of God. In that sage stage, for you ladies, as you're in those final stages of life, you've got to be able to focus on the goodness of God. You know, that's why it says what? Your young men and your young women will see visions. And your old men and your old women will dream dreams. Sometimes you've got to go back and dream about what you used to do. Right? Well, you know, I mean, how many of you ever had a dream about what you, I mean, if you're young, you don't have a dream about what you used to do because you haven't done anything yet. But if you live long enough, you dream about some of the stuff you used to do. Right? And sometimes we've got to remind ourselves of what God has done in our lives. You might say, well, well, I don't know. I, I, he healed me before, but I'm feeling pain now. Well, guess what? He healed you before. Sometimes you've got to take joy in that and hope in that and know that if God healed you once, he can heal you twice. Right? God is not done with you yet. Every single one in this room, no matter how old you are, how young you are, God's not done with you yet. Right? He goes on and he says this, though I not, uh, verse 16, I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteous deeds Yours alone. As an old person, there's a lot of stuff you can proclaim about your own life. But, man, listen, I told you some funny stories today, but <clears throat> those stories aren't going to change you. The Word of God's going to change you. You understand? So, yeah, I'll share stories to get your attention, but the Word of God is what transforms a person's life, right? Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, <clears throat> do do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. That is what God is calling us to do. Let's give what we have to the next group coming behind us. Let's, let's give the blessing of God to the group coming behind us. Let's give the blessing of God to the ones who haven't been as far down the road as I've been, as you've been, as we've been. You know, maybe you haven't been that far down the road. Guess what? There's still people behind you. You know, you might be a... You might be a teenage boy this morning. You might only be 13, 14 years old. Guess what? There are people looking up to you. You can serve God. You can let others know what God has done. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes this out as we finish this up today. And thank you for being patient with me this morning. Because um, I had some good time sharing some of those stories. In verse 6, Paul shares this as he's in that sage stage of his life. The final stages before he ends up losing his head. Literally losing his head. Um, he, he shares this verse, and he says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. Isn't that great? I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Wow. God has a plan, even for the days to come, even for the future, even if you're at that sage stage, even if your checkout date is just on the horizon, God has a plan for you. And that plan isn't going to stop when your heart stops pumping. It's not going to stop when your brain stops, stops waving. You know, you know what I'm saying? God's plan is going to go on beyond that. And there's more to this life than just living and dying. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Men, next Sunday we'll celebrate Father's Day with you. We'll have a gift for you. Um, thank you for letting me share my Father's Day message with you. Whatever stage of life you're in, whatever it is, enjoy where you're at, the season you're at. Look forward to the future. Let the Lord lead you and guide you, and may you be a blessed man in the kingdom of God. Amen. Stand with me as we dismiss out today. Raise your hands. I want to bless you. Lord, I thank you for our men and our ladies. Lord, last month we focused on our women and our, and our, and our moms. We thank you for them. This month, oh God, next week we focus on our fathers. We thank you for them. I thank you for these men that are here. I thank you, God, that as men, we, we're not like women in so many ways. There's differences in us, O oh Lord. And so I ask for a blessing on every man that's in this room here today. <clears throat> Lord, I, I thank you for the men in this room that are in their boyhood stage, that are just young, the ones downstairs. Bless them. I thank you, God, for our cowboys, for our young men that are just full of adventure, and, and, and they're just shooting their guns in the air and riding their horses and doing what cowboys do. Thank you for them. Bless them, Lord. For our men who have learned to become warriors, who have learned that there is a mission that you have for them, that they're not a warrior without mission, but the missio dei, the mission of God, is something that they have come to know and love. And I pray a blessing on our warriors today. Lord, those men who have stepped into the lover stage that are giving of themselves, that have found something to fight for and are willing to overlook themselves to see that done, that they've learned to see the beauty and things around them. Bless these men in that stage. Lord, for these men that have stepped into the king stage, Lord, who are serving and building a kingdom around them and and investing in the lives of others and serving and reigning in in a righteous way, I pray your blessing upon those men today. And Lord, for our men, although they be few, perhaps, who enter into that sage stage, Lord, would you bless them? Would you allow them to be able to walk in such a way that, Lord, they're inspiring people behind them, encouraging, passing on things that they have learned from life and from God to others, Lord. Bless these men. Lord, every man in this room, I pray a blessing on them. I ask you to just fulfill your plan, your purpose in their life, and to bless them. Lord, for our ladies, too, bless them and make them fruitful, productive, Uh, Lord, Fulfill the needs and the want and the desires, Lord, in your heart towards each of us. Lord, what you desire us to do, the desires, Lord, you have for us as our Father. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the needs that you meet in our lives. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Now bless us, O oh God, as we go from this place. Thank you for your incredible, incredible power that you show towards us. And as we sang earlier today, Lord, Truly, you are good. You are good. And we bless you. Lord, help us to go forward now with this goodness of God in us, coming out of us, seeping out of us, blessing others. In the name
name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Lord, bless you folks. Have an awesome, awesome day.